The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, House of Hardcore listeners, the House of Hardcore podcast is one of the many podcasts here on the Gas Digital Network. Gas Digital has a massive on-demand library of thousands of hours of your favorite podcasts and shows, all in full HD, ad-free, and uncensored. As a Gas Digital member, you get a unique user profile, access to the new live chat during a show's premiere, and all the newest full-length episodes of your favorite Gas Digital shows days before they come available to the public. Sign up to gasdigitalnetwork.com and use the promo code HOH and you get a seven-day free trial on us to see if you like it. And if you decide to stay after the seven days, you get an additional $1.50 off of your membership every month. That's gasdigitalnetwork.com, promo code HOH, and get a seven-day free trial. Let's get back to the show. Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for the House of Hardcore podcast, Tommy Dreamer! Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the House of Hardcore podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Dreamer, and this week... I got the ECW original, the WCW original, the WWE original, the TNA original, the Impact original. Man, this guy's been original for a lot, a lot of years. The Swingman, Johnny Swinger. Hold on a second there, Daddy. Where's the camera at to zoom in on me? What kind of deal is this? Do I get paid for this, Daddy? I mean, what are you trying to pull, Dreamer? I'm not going, hey, is this one of those John Stossel things where I'm going to stiff the guy in his ear and get sizzled? You know what? I'm out of here, Daddy. Whether you're driving an old classic or a real piece of junk, the car market is hot. And that's why I want to tell you about rockauto.com, the one-stop shop for all the auto parts you need to keep your car on the road and in pristine condition. rockauto.com has been in business for over 20 years. They have every part you need in stock at amazing prices. No reason to run around to different stores, websites, or auto shops. Rock Auto has what you need in stock. And guess what? RockAuto.com prices are always reliably low. That means they do not change prices based on what's going on in the market. This isn't like an airplane ticket, a hotel, or beef at your grocery store. Have you seen the price of beef lately, crazies? It's nuts. You won't need to constantly check to see if what you need is available and if now is the best time to buy. Rock Auto keeps it simple and has everything in stock at reliably low prices. So go to rockauto.com. They make it easy to maintain your car and save money. It feels good knowing your car is in top condition. Once more, rockauto.com for great prices on auto parts and tell them we sent you. There's a box when you check out to put in our show name, the Hardcore Pod, the House of Hardcore Pod. Come on, it's that simple. The prices are too good for promo codes. Now let's get back into the show. Uh, sorry about that. We're back. We had our producers sit down with the swing man, and uh, he saw Randy Savage do this once, and he's going to give us an exclusive because he really doesn't let the world into the real world of the swing man. So uh, I ask everybody this question. What got you, made you fall in love with professional wrestling? Well, now that I got my draw and I'm calmed down, uh, I could tell you that story. It's a, a lot like uh, most people. You know, I came across it on TV when I was probably about seven or eight years old. And the next thing you know, I'm running around the house with a towel on my head pretending to be the Iron Sheik. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, man. And it, I think when I went to see it in person the first time at the old War Memorial Auditorium in Buffalo, once again, the sheet comes out and the people are throwing stuff at him and spitting at him. And he wasn't even doing nothing. He's just walking in the ring. Ivan Putsky comes out and goes, Polish power. The place goes nuts. And that was 
yeah, from then on out, I was I wasn't watching it as a fan anymore. I was watching it, you know, watching how the guys walked to the ring, how they looked at the people, you know, just to try to emulate these guys because I wanted to do it. Um, it's funny you're a kid and you still want to be a heel even as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, the chic. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just I was blown away by what we call heat with the heat that the guys get. I didn't know it was called heat back then, but. You know, to just uh, just the look of a guy and the, the people would just throw golf balls and eggs and just anything they had at them. And I was like, yeah, I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy standing there waiting for Hogan to come out. Nice. Um, all right. So now you're from upstate New York. And uh, how do you get involved into professional wrestling? Because the business well, was different then. It was very, very hidden still. Yeah. No, you're right. There, it, it's a it's a weird story, and I don't want to take too much time. But that story I just gave you, I'm about eight or nine years old. So for the next two or three years, I was practicing being a wrestler in the mirror with interviews or promos, as we call them. And and I think I was right around when I was 12 years old. Uh, my parents were split up when I was very little. I don't even remember it. So I was raised mostly by my mother. So when I was about 12 years old. She was. My mother was tending bar because that was my dad's business. He ran bars. So she comes home from the bar one day and says, I, I met this gentleman. He's friends with one of the wrestlers. And I'm like, what do you mean? What, who? And she goes, you ever heard of Tony Parisi? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I saw him do a job. You know, I didn't say that. But, uh, yeah, I just saw him get beat at the odd, you know, like three months ago. So while well, his name's Tony. And next thing you know, my mother's dating this gentleman tony and it turns out he was actually childhood friends with tony parisi they grew up together in italy and came over to canada together in the 60s and that's when tony parisi became a wrestler and so now i'm 12 13 years old and i'm helping set up the ring for wwf shows in ontario wow um yeah. you had meant to be i guess yeah we had talked about that uh in your in a car ride you and i when we went uh from atlanta good old alabama and it's an amazing like uh, journey because, I mean, here you are at 12 years old. I'm straight up full-blown Mark, and, and so are you, but you're so close to that action and seeing everything that's going on. I mean, what was that like for you as a kid? I was trying to get ring time, trying to get the ring up as fast as possible before the people got there. So I could get in the ring and hit the ropes, which would hit the back of my neck. Uh, the, the, the rings, the WWF rings are still like that. They still hit the back of my neck when I was there, but, uh, yeah, I was dropping elbows in, in, uh, you know, but I, what I tell a lot of people is even though I was in there kind of at that age, I never, and I always remember this and I tell people, I never saw Ricky Steamboat or Randy Savage in the same room. I never saw guys that were working with each other ever talking or going over a finish or anything at all so i wasn't smartened up until i actually got in five six years later after i graduated high school and started training i, I never heard the word bump or new you know what i mean it was none of that that stuff was so not available to anybody and i was told hey bring this jacket to the back and get out of there and uh that's that they was protected that way and you didn't you didn't learn nothing until you were brought into it for a while Random question. Did you meet uh, Jimmy Corderas back then or no? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I did. He was a uh, funny Jack story. Tunney? Uh, never met Jack, but Jack was how Jimmy got in there. Um, yeah, he, he was, he was, he was a rough then too. Yeah. He was, uh, and he was friends. He was friends with what I call my stepdad. He's not officially my stepdad. My, he's basically like a father to me, helped raise me. Tony, he was actually good friends with Jimmy. He used to call him Julio. I said, why do you call him Julio? He goes, well, he looks like a Mexican guy. He looks like Hispanic. So I was called. And, he, you know, you can barely understand him. Even to this day, he's got that thick Italian accent, even though he's been living here for 60 years. But, uh, he's, yeah, you see Julio. I see, yeah, I see Julio all the time. When You know, when I was uh, got older and got into business, you know. Um, so how – are you trained by anybody specifically or – Yes. Yes. Um, I wanted Tony Parisi to train me, but he was running this restaurant hotel in uh, Niagara Falls, Canada at the time. And he, he suggested I go with Gino Brito in Montreal at the time. And that was a good eight hours from where I was living. And uh, I would have had to move there. He was friends with 
by Gino. So he trusted him and he knew I'd, I'd get broken in the right way. Um, and then somehow I can't remember exactly. I'm, it might've been in a wrestling magazine, an ad for the sweet daddy Siki Ron Hutchison school. And I just saw Toronto and I was like, well, geez, man, Toronto is an hour and a half from where I, I could stay living at home and, you know, work. I had a job at the movie theater from high school. So, and then I wouldn't have to get an apartment and get a job and all that stuff. And I, I went up there and I signed up with them the week after I graduated high school. Uh, who was in this class? Like uh, from when you started? Uh, Edge was there. Joe legend, uh, Rob Echeverria, who went as El Fuego. He, he started doing the training after we left he trained a lot of notable people too. Um, a few other people uh, that really helped break me in, you know, with the, the beginning stuff. Uh, and Christian came in maybe six or eight months after that and started training. He used to come to the, well, you know what? I was already doing matches because I remember Christian coming to the shows as a fan and, you know, giving, giving the heels crap in the crowd and all that. And next thing you know, he was training with us. So nice. Yeah. You had said something uh, interesting to me then. I guess you said you go work for um, Tony Candelo, Don Callis. Yeah, that was my first my first match ever was in Winnipeg. It was a what, what were they calling it at the time? The West Four Wrestling Alliance or whatever. And it was actual TV taping in Winnipeg. And that's where I met Lance Storm and Jericho and uh, a whole bunch of ex-Calgary guys. Bad News was there. Rick Martell. This is on my first night, my first match after eight, eight or nine months of training before I had my first match. I don't count the battle royal I did right. three or four months prior to that. That was, you know what I mean? Just my actual first match was in Winnipeg for a Tony Candelo TV taping. And that's where I met Don. He was the booker. And we told him, I didn't tell him, Joe Legend told him I had 20 matches. I never had a match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we started working right off the bat. Yeah, it's worked everybody to. Yeah. But the best part about it was then you said you were pretty much becoming steady with wrestling as your real job. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, the first two, it was a two day uh, thing in Winnipeg, the first night and then the second night. And they, they right away booked us to come back for like a three three week tour to like Northern winnipeg there where you'd wrestle every night seven nights a week sometimes twice on the weekend at all these indian reservations and i did you know one of those tours pretty quick after my first match and i came back with the amount of money that i've never seen before uh working it so i was basically at that point i was making more for a match than i would make for a day working my job so it was pretty cool now you're working pretty much some indies how do you get your first break to go to WCW, correct? Yeah, it all comes from Winnipeg. I was on one of those tours, maybe the second or third tour. And with it, it's my first year working. Um, I don't think I've d done anything in the States at this point. Everything's been Winnipeg and a few shots here and there in Ontario. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of independence, like you said, in Canada. There was nothing in New York State because the Athletic Commission was – so brutal. I never did an independent New York. So I was on maybe the second or third tour in Winnipeg and we're staying at this hotel where they put us up and I got a call from the front desk. If there was a call for me downstairs to come down and like pick up the payphone. <laughs> so I go down there and pick up the payphone and it, Hey, how you doing? This is Scott Demore. Never met him. Never heard of him. He saw us on Tony's TV. It is Tony's Candela's TV shows nationwide in Canada. And he saw me and Edge and asked if we would want to do television for WWF and WCW. And uh, I jumped on it. How much uh, How much were they paying? At the time, this was in 95, I believe it was 200 bucks. And once again, I was, I was ecstatic to be making 75 bucks a match at that, at that point. That's what I was making. And you're going to give me $200 a day. And I'm, I'm going to be on the TV show that I was, that I watch, you know, I mean, that I've been watching as a kid, WCW 605 Saturday night. And, uh, I, I was booked next thing you know, I'm in Atlanta for one day, making Georgia for the second day. And Johnny B. Bad was my first TV match who I was a huge fan of. And so and I just didn't get to meet him. I got to wrestle him and it, it was great. So you go down there to pretty much do enhancement matches. 
Sure. And then you get signed? No, no. There was there was a couple of year period where, okay. yeah, well, Scott had also got me booked with WWF like at the same time. And I did maybe two or three sets of tapings for WWF. They had, uh, yeah, Raw was going on. Raw was happening at that point. So I did a couple of Raws, actually. I did a live Raw with Dean Douglas. I wrestled Dean Douglas on a live Raw. Russell Marty J on Live Raw. WCW seemed to take more of a liking to me and book, told Scott we want to use him more. And then they just started calling me directly. Um, so I would drive from Buffalo to Detroit and maybe meet Rhino and a couple guys and drive to Atlanta and do a couple days of TV, drive back. And then the Orlando syndicated tapings, some of them we were down there for eight to 10 days, which at 200 a day, uh, when I get a check for 2000 bucks at 19, 20 years old, and I'm in the dressing room with Macho Man and Flair and Hogan and all these guys, it just blew me away. And uh, I did that for about two years. I, I was almost making a living just working for them. But then when I was home in between those, that's when I now I'm on the TV all the time. So now I'm getting people want to book me all over Canada and Michigan and all that stuff. So I really was pretty much making a living doing that, but I didn't, I didn't have to make much of a living because I was a single guy living on my mother's couch. So I got to put gas in the car and eat. That's it. Uh, total sidebar. How the hell did DeMore wind up with that job? Because he's a young kid himself. He was. Yeah. He's only a year older than me. And I tell a lot of people this, people ask me today, well, how did he get in charge of impact? And I'm like, he's been producing wrestling TV since he was a teenager. Yeah. And I, you'd actually have to ask him the exact story. All I know is he got brought in there by somebody when he was 18 years old or something. And Jody Hamilton took a liking to him right away and talked to him a lot and found out they did a lot on the ball for such a young guy. And somehow he got, he got Mike Jackson's spot. He didn't take it from Mike Jackson, but he got that kind of spot where he became a booker for the, what we call extras now or jobbers or ham and eggers as I call them, whatever. <laughs> Um, the politically tracked yeah. term is in right, yeah. talent now. Well, yeah, you, you know, I'm not afraid of that word jobber. You know what I mean? I know we all do jobs to me. If you have, if you're a jobber, it means you have a job. And, uh, you know, a lot of people I think would do anything to have the jobs that I've had. You know what I mean? So it's agreed. Yeah. My, my son said, Oh, I hated Halloween ends. I'm like, well, you know what? They made, they put a lot of money into that. So somebody thought it was good. <laughs> It's it's everybody's personal opinion. Ah, this guy, sir, the, the Chiefs suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, they don't suck. They're pretty good. They just lost. They got beat by Buffalo. That's all. Um. So when do you finally get hired by WCW? Um. Early 97, I was down there doing – after about a year and a half, you know, I started smartening up, thinking, well, they're probably not going to – you know, they're just using to put guys over. I'm getting paid decent, but it's, that's probably all it's going to be. Um, the word contract had never come up. And I actually started thinking about, because uh, I was 21, I was going to be 22 in about four or five months. And then I started thinking, you know what? My friends are going to be graduating college here soon. This, this might not be, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stick with this at this level. I need to go back home and get a job. You know what I mean? Make at least something to do with doing the TVs and doing independence. Cause it, long term, I was thinking, and I, I don't want to say I was getting ready to quit the business, but I was starting to get, you know, if this is all it's going to be, right. There's going to have to be something more. I have to go back home and take some kind of, you know, I took the civil service exam, you know what I mean? To just see if I could pass it. Oh, I'll get a, you know, like the guy that trained us, Ron Hutchinson, you worked for the post office. So that's where I got the idea. Something where you could do both. And, um, I was staying in Atlanta and I stayed with Jim Mitchell. I never met the guy, met him at a TV. And he's like, man, if you ever need a place to stay. So I was staying with him for a couple of weeks while we were doing tapings in uh, Atlanta, then Orlando, and then back to Atlanta. And then I was literally like, they pay you with a check. So I didn't have hardly any money. So I was like, I got to go home. I can't even, you know what I mean? I got to wait for that check to come in and get another car. Cause I was driving a $500 car and um, I was planning to leave like in the morning. And then I'm out with, Jim Mitchell and I, I don't know how this happened. We're out eating somewhere and there was a call at the restaurant. 
And it's my mother. Somehow my mother tracks me down that I'm at this restaurant. And she goes, I got a message on my machine from a J.J. Dillon. And, and I, you, I jumped out of the booth so fast to get, you know, a figure, I'd get my calling card out so I could call this guy back. And that's he, he called. I called him back and he said that he spoke with Eric. And um, he literally told me, he goes, I'm, we're going to sign you and Dale Torborg, the demon. They, so that we both got signed the same day and it, it was immediate and I started getting paid in two weeks. And uh, so now you're on the contract up until good old Raven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He screwed the whole thing up. Not really, but uh, no. uh, as you know, and most people, the wrestling is psychological. It's a hundred percent. You know what I mean? It's, it's about how much you can, you know, think you you think something's not going your way and you're not really sure but then you have other people that kind of you know that, that you want to be in they're a higher level than you so you listen to them and you know yeah so that was two two and a half years of being under contract i had three contracts i actually went in there and, uh went in there and asked for a lease and jj gave me a new deal with more money um so I had, I was making pretty good money, but I knew what other guys were making. That's always, I say the worst thing that happens, you find out what other people are making. Cause no matter how good you think you're doing, there, there's some people out there making double than you. And you go, why is this guy making, you know, and it's just the psychological thing. And, um, I was basically led to believe that, you know, at 23 or 24, well, this is as far as you're going to go, you know, just being on WCW TV, which, you know, it, what's wrong with being on uh, in front of 5 million people every week is that's what it was back then. You know, it was, right. you know, the most I ever got recognized is when I was there because the, the audience was so much bigger and being localized in Atlanta on the Turner networks and stuff. You go out, Hey, Johnny Swinger, I saw you get beat three times this weekend on TV. <laughs> and I'd say, well, what channel were you on? <laughs> that's awesome. So you ask for your release because uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong. Raven and DDP kind of tell you, "Hey, there's you need, you need to go to you need to go to another territory and get over and come right. back." Yeah, and it was believable because I seen you know he did it, uh, Raven did it. Um, you know he was Scotty Flamingo or whatever, and he, he felt he was as far as he was going to go. So that's when he went. I think he got <clears throat> the Johnny Polo thing. Was it Johnny Polo before Raven? Right, right before. Basically, you got you got to leave and go somewhere and get over and if you want to come back and get a real job, you know, what I mean, a real gig. So that's I believed it. And uh, I thought I could go to New York because um, I'd, like I said, broken with Edge and Christian and I'd been talking to them and I knew what they were making and saw what they were doing with them. And it's man, it's right there, in front, you know, and there was there was talk. I was actually there was a, a, a real good chance of me going in there. Um. In two thousand ninety, late ninety nine, early two thousand, until enter ECW. Yeah, yeah. I went to without going into long detail. I ended up getting the flight up to Connecticut and brought to the to the warehouse there, and it really looked good, looked good. And then just nothing came of it. And then okay, I was getting, I was on a weekly guarantee. Now it's zero for three, four, five months, and it's like okay. Finally, I Bruce Pritchard, we don't have anything for you right now. So once again, is this thing over with or what? And then Ray was like, yeah, yeah you should go to ECW. Uh, you get over there. I'm like, are you insane? I mean, I watched you guys on the Sunshine Network. Guy, and me and Disco and Canyon, all these guys used to watch it and just be entertained. Man, we'd never work there, though, because we couldn't. You know, it was a completely different thing. So I thought he was nuts when he suggested that. But then it was like, do you want to stay working this business or do you want to go back home and carry mail or something? I don't know. So I was like, well, that's a no brainer, you know? And uh, I think he lined it up with you guys for me to at least come in the building, you know, and get looked at or something. And then you had uh, a decent run until the doors shut down. You were pretty much booked. I personally love booking you and working with you. Um, it's funny you and Pat kind of hook up and you got a, a tag team. And if you do think about it, you were totally different from anything that we had seen, but that's what that really was your heat. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, what I was really surprised with was even before we got together, uh, when I was just doing some matches there, 
I remember my first match with, was with Guido in like Poughkeepsie. That was my first actual match in front of the crowd. And I had no idea what, what these people are going to know who I am. And immediately I got heat just for being a WCW yeah. wrestler and a low card one too. You know what I mean? And uh, I was like, oh, this is the best reaction I've ever gotten because they, they're saying they know who I am and they're, you know, they're already invested in a match, even though it's just a match where there's no angle or nothing. So I knew I was that first match. I knew it was going to be pretty good because that, that was the gimmick. The first gimmick was I was, they hated WCW wrestlers, you know? So I did my basic stuff and I didn't touch a chair or a table or any of that stuff. And that just played into the gimmick. I remember you and I doing pose downs in our right. matches. <laughs> I clearly won all the time. Um, right. <laughs> And if ECW doesn't go out of business, you and Pat would have probably definitely been ECW tag champs. Um, but unfortunately, ECW goes away. Before we jump uh, after that, do you have a favorite WCW moment? Um, I wrestled on that big Georgia Dome card where Goldberg beat Hogan. And I, I think it's the highest rated Nitro there ever yeah. was. It's the biggest live gate. It's the biggest attendance. It's like all kinds of records. And I had an eight-minute TV match on there with Chavo Jr., who was I always got along good with. I had good matches. So I had a good TV match with him on a pretty memorable. You know, there's nothing like walking out there with forty thousand people. You know what I mean? It's right. I never did it again after that. I never been in front of a crowd like that. So that that's a match I always remember from from WCW. But you know, looking back on it, I'm grateful for every day that I was under contract to the biggest company. And WWF, that, that was the period where the ratings were even higher for WCW. So you couldn't get any bigger than that. I just wanted to personally be bigger. Yes, of course. In there, right. Uh, ECW, personal favorite moment in ECW? Um, man, it's hard. You know, it's funny. I wasn't there that long. So me and Pat being together, like everything we did was fun. And you look for what my wife's my wife says this to me today, even today, she goes, you were the happiest. She's been with me the whole time from WCW. She says, you were the happiest you'd ever been that year when you were there. And I thought, well, why is that? Because I got a chance to do what I wanted to do and had a lot of leeway to do it with the, when we get there, you, you say, okay, you guys got a promo with so-and-so go do it. And it's like, well, you're letting us do our own stuff. So it was exciting to go there every week and see what you guys had for us. And it was always good. Um, he was a similar mindset as me, as far as the sports entertainment thing that's called now it wasn't back then, but we, we, we might've looked different and acted different, but we had the same kind of, we wanted to be wrestlers from the eighties, that kind of stuff. Um, that you know, it was pretty cool. That New York uh, show we did at Hammerstein. Me and him did the three matches yep. and got yep. with you guys at the end. That I call that I call that a main event for me. Yeah, man. Uh, for New York, a, a hot New York sold out thing, and we're in the main event. And I remember right at the finish when just the place went nuts, and you know I was involved in that, so I I remember that probably was the, probably one of the biggest ones. Then. ECW goes out of way. Here comes TNA. There was a, Oh, that was a, a two year period in between there. That was the roughest. That was the, Oh boy, I got a wife here and I got, got a house and you know, the, the income is on my end is going way down and I'm working for dusty at turnbuckle. And, you know, I love the dream. So I'm doing it for almost no money, you know, and I'm working for Scott, and but Scott can only use me once every six weeks. So I really struggled to make a living. And uh, there were several periods. And if there was any kind of a walk-in depression, I would say it was in that two-year period. I still got up every day and trained and ate and did it because I, I had to be responsible for that part myself. So I never laid around and go, oh, screw it, I'm going to get fatter or I always stay in shape. And that was the thing with my wife was like, I got to be ready every day of the week because like JJ called like this, they just call it and know you got to be ready to go. So I kept at least had that mentality of, I have to be ready to be a pro every day of the week. The dentist so that stamp, was, you're always on the trampoline. You're always ready. Yeah. So two years, almost two years of that. And then, Scott had got involved with the world WWA international tours and he got me booked on a couple of those 
with Pat and I did some stuff with disco. And I think that's when he was getting involved with Jeff with TNA and uh, <clears throat> he had him and some other people had pushed me and Pat to Jeff a couple of times and Jeff wasn't open to it for whatever reason. He's nothing against us. He just didn't see. And that there was probably about a year of because TNA started in 2002 and we didn't go until summer of 03. So it was a good year of, we went in for a match, you know, put over the new church, put over uh, Monty Brown. And so, you know, we were to Jeff, we were good for a one match. We're known, so it's a good win for for, for his established guys, which makes sense. So it was a year of that. So we did maybe two or three matches over a year. And then summer of 03, it, the America's Most Wanted are the tag team champions. And miraculously, they don't have anybody to work with. Like, they didn't have an angle with anybody. They, so we got brought in for one match. And those guys, I always thank them to this day. They made They were willing to make a hell of a match with us. And the match was great. And it, it got us brought back the following week. By the third week, we're in an angle with them for the belts. And six weeks in, we're the champions and getting contracts. So that's how that came about. Uh, favorite moment in TNA? Oh, probably getting the belts with him, with Pat. You know, he's uh, he was uh, one of the groomsmen at my wedding. You know, we became really good friends really fast. I mean, if you think we came together in ECW and six months later, he was in my wedding. So to be able to do that with him, and that's something that uh, we can always point back to that, you know, that we got the chance to do that. And, uh, and plus that, like I said, with Jeff, not really believing in us too much in the beginning we, that we were able to change his mind and, and he was change his mind, put us in a position to where he thought we were a draw for the company. That's to me, that's a real accomplishment. Uh, absolutely. And then here comes me and WWE. Yeah. A lot of, uh, is Swinger ever going to be happy anywhere, but you know what? <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, that's, those are his words. Um, but dream, I just told you how I came up and it, you don't stay in a territory for three years, six okay. months a year. When you're not being used, you don't sit around and go, well, gee, I hope they keep you. I hope they bring me back. You go somewhere out. I mean, so the thing with you came about at TNA, I was on a good nightly contract. I was established there as uh, to quote Arn, a middle of the road kind of guy, which is, what I realistically saw for myself. I know that's not what, Oh, I got to have my world championship. Listen, I, I was where I was supposed to be there, but the booking changed. And then I wasn't there anymore. I was at home, not getting paid my nightly guarantee. I wasn't on a weekly guarantee. I was on a nightly guarantee. I was on a really good nightly guarantee, but if you're not being used, it's zero. So I can't, once again, I can't keep doing this. It's not just me. It's my wife. I can't right. pay. I'm back to making zero again. Um, so that's when you got in the position up there with developmental. And I think it went through Christian a little bit. I think he was the one that told me and put us in touch. And you're like, if you can get a release, I can see what I could do here. And I was to me at that point, I wasn't get a really, wasn't getting a release from anything because they weren't using me. I was dusty told me to my face. I, I don't like, you're with disco. I don't like disco. I'm not using you guys. So he basically told me there was not like, okay, we'll come up with so there was nothing. So it was time to leave the territory, yep. whether it was to come work, if you could do something or to go to home Depot, but there was nothing for me at TNA anymore at that point. So you come, uh, you're probably the oldest rookie, uh, and you got to go 29. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to be 29 again. Jeez. You got to go through the developmental system. You're there until you kind of, again, say, Hey, you're going to bet on yourself. And yeah. like either I want it to be proven, bring me up on the road or just get rid of me. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much. And, um, uh, Johnny was uh, very straight up with me. I never have anything bad to say about him. Uh, I, I actually confronted him about it one time. I said, hey, am I, because this was said, am I just here because I'm Dreamer's friend? And this is what he told me. He said, uh, Dreamer made a list of people that he thought I should hire. He goes, I crossed out a lot of people. He goes, I, I agreed to hire you because I thought you had potential. And I believe him when he said that. And I said, well, I, obviously, I think I have potential too. And I, I wasn't. Uh, 
I never, they told us to pitch ideas and all that. I didn't, you know what I mean? I was just, I was trying to do anything because I knew just to be on the card in the WWF is a six figure job. And that's, that's what I was shooting for. That was my goal was to be on the road full time. And I was down there at the school and I was seeing a lot of guys get brought up there that I'm not saying I was better than, but they weren't better than me either. So once again, there's only so many spots and they, they're going to pick who they're going to pick. How long do I stay there and wait? That's the thing. And dream, it was almost two years there too. And then it was like, well, gee whiz, what my weekly guarantee, I can match that one night a week and still have the entire middle of the week to, you know, go uh, cut lawns or something or whatever, you know, <laughs> like the Briscoes. I don't know. I mean, it's just that, that I, I wanted I, I just told you I wanted to be in the business when I was eight years old, but I always try to think like an adult. Okay. So how long do you do fantasy before it's like, okay, there, there's gotta be a reality thing here with it or else, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, living for this. And then there's, yeah. And Oh, I had a kid at this point too. So that made a lot more stressful with the WWE deal. Cause I had a one-year-old and it's like, Oh boy, that, that was even a lot more. So you go home and there's pressure, you know? Yep. So now Johnny Parisi debuts. Uh, they don't really do much with you. Um, do you get released or do you ask for your release? I don't remember. I asked for release uh, a couple times. Uh, and that wasn't Johnny Parisi didn't ask for release when they sent Johnny Parisi back to the school after it was a three or four month run there where I was at TV every week. And if they would have kept doing that, I'd have never thought of the words release because by going to TV every week, I was making a living at least. But when I, after doing the TV and going back to the school, my pay got cut in half to a point where once again, it was the weekly guarantee wasn't enough to, you know, to be an adult man with a wife and a child and contribute like I was required to do. Um, and that's when uh, it was delayed a few times. I've spoke with you and with Johnny that, my name was brought up in meetings, but so much time kept going by and more and more. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it was Johnny Parisi or I'll quote Paul dangerously, Johnny Dicklick. It's who is this person and what do we do with them? It did, didn't matter what, well, why did they change your name? It doesn't matter. It's like, <clears throat> I could be jumping Joe Dorgan and not leave my feet. And that's a gimmick. I mean, you can make something out of anything in wrestling. I just, at, it's I think it's like the two year mark where I'm like, man, if it's, you know, how long do you wait before it's, you know, <clears throat> like I said, just being a former ECW wrestler and a former WCW wrestler, a former TNA featured wrestler. And now not everybody gets a chance to work for the WWF, whatever. Um, so all of that stuff combines. I, I knew that I still had value at the independent level. Um where it's not a, a total, you know, I'm never going back. I don't have to go back to make it 75 bucks a night. So I knew realistically I could still wrestle on the weekends, but something would have to come something real. I'd have to do something real during the week. And I mean, I remember, you know, always talking to you or seeing you're like, man, I work, you know, four times this week or, uh, and you, Tracy Smullers, they were outlaws. I've loved <laughs> working outlaws. Hey, I'll tell you what. I've gone to what we call outlaw shows and we make fun of it, but I'll tell you what, don't ever underestimate these guys. Some of them have been around for 20, 25 years. And you know, like I do, when you go lock up with someone, you're like, man, this guy knows how to lock up. This might go somewhere. And then he takes your arm and doesn't wrench it and hyperextend your elbow. And it's like, you'd be surprised. Some guys actually do know how to work. They just don't look good enough for TV uh, they get, you know, how many teeth they got factory jobs with benefits that they would, why would they give that up to get, try to get a shot? You know what I mean? Uh, I worked with a, a couple of young guys last weekend. I was blown away by that, that just, you know, were light and, you know, didn't try to do crazy stuff. And to me, that's a worker. And made, we made a good match and the people were entertained and they don't know that I didn't do a splash off the top and they didn't care. You know what I mean? They just, yeah. they, People come up, man, that was great. Can I buy a picture? Job's done. Now, how long are you on the Indies before you get another call from good old <laughs> Scott Demore? Oh, my gosh. I'd have to call this the, the greatest comeback ever. And I'm not, I'm not seriously. I told Scott mm-hmm. this. So what, my official release from WWE was the summer of 2006. 
2019, okay? <laughs> and I told Scott, I said, you know, when you said you're going to bring back the machine guns and you're going to bring back EC3, these people are all a given. Everybody, everybody remembers these guys. They love. Nobody ever thought Swinger was going back on TV. Nobody would have ever put a nickel on that. It's not even possible. So it's like, what is that? Nine, 10, 16. 12 years? Yeah, it's just like that many. And, and I wasn't a big star to begin with. That's the other thing. It's not like Bruno coming back. Oh, my God. It was an instant. And, and I almost, he was genius in the way he just put up the caption on the TV, Johnny Swinger coming soon. It, he did it by design. Everyone, why are they bringing him back? Is that guy even still alive? Is he, he hasn't wrestled in 15 years. It was great. I mean, it was just perfect. And that's something that you could do with me that you really couldn't do with a whole lot of people. You know, I mean, so, yeah, that's, uh, and then here I am three years later, still, still rolling with it. And they're, when we were together there two weeks ago, they were happy with it, with the stuff. You were, uh, you hit, you surpassed your two year mark. <laughs> yeah. No. I, yeah. I think I broke a record dream. I'm over three, man. Yeah. It's three. Now September of 19 is when my first, uh, video aired on there so yeah i'm over three years in the same territory daddy i'm gonna let i i, I like the other on an indie i purposely flew to atlanta instead of birmingham so i could travel in the car and just <laughs> hang out with you because i do i love you and i have such a good time with you now i'm gonna tell the fans two stories that uh recently happened at bound for glory uh we do the battle royal and per by design bully then dreamer then rhino and we do the shield and then in I have received so many gifts of it and so many pictures of it. When you pop up and you do the thing, you're like, yeah, daddy, ECW, the band's back together, dude. I almost had, I had to put my head down. Rhino's like, this is awesome. And both, this is part of the nation that I'll let everybody in. He turns to me and he goes, was he even in ECW? Or was that when I left? Like, and I go, it was when you left. And he goes, what? No, seriously. He was, he in ECW? I go, yes, you worked him. And he goes, really? <laughs> <laughs> and he then goes, why is this so over? <laughs> and I go, because he's over. I go, this is the best. And he goes, all right, let's eliminate him. So we throw him out. <laughs> but that was a real conversation. And the whole time, Rido is just chuckling and laughing. Yeah. And you're in a hundred percent gimmick the whole time. I <laughs> loved it because it was a designed moment that we got yeah. the people for. And just the way you popped up right at the perfect moment. Oh, it was, it was frigging great. I it's hard. It. It's hard to plan those kind of things and, and hope it's going to work. And I'll admit it worked. I knew it would work, but it worked better than I thought it would. Work. Dude, I, I designed it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just it, like, no, no. I couldn't believe how big it got now. over. Ask me 20 years from now, what's your favorite spot? That's that's the greatest spot ever. You know? Now I'm going to fast forward the next night. Besides Bound for Glory, Eddie Edwards and Josh Alexander had like Kobashi Mazawa level match. They had Guerrero Malenko type of match. What a, an amazing main event. And it was a locker room sellout. Um, the next night, Bound for Glory is over. We have some issues. The show's been delayed because of the ambulance. Last match of the night is another locker room sellout. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, because I had a wrestle. I had a produce. I had an agent. I'm running all over the place. And I walk up and I see all the wrestlers around the monitor in gorilla position. I'm like, who's is this Josh Alexander versus Bobby Fish? Who is this? And it's Swinger versus Dirty Dango, a.k.a. Fandango. And when I tell you, not only did that match deserve the locker room sellout, it was so worth it. One of my favorite spots I've ever seen was when the two of you were holding each other like hostage with the double axe handle, double Polish hammer. And the fans start going as you, you're both threatening to hit each other by running across the ring. And then the fans start going, oh, it was the best thing. It was his idea. And I was, he's like, he's, we said, he goes, you think this is too hokey? I'm like, are you kidding me? You, that's not even possible. Dude, I loved it. I, I love to, and like, 
they'll put you in matches against like Laredo Kid or Trey Miguel, and you'll be like, what the hell am I supposed to do here? And then poor Zicky has to eat most of the dives, or then yeah, you act yeah. like you're going to go to the top rope and jump off the bottom rope. <laughs> it's so awesome. It's But it's such a different business, and wrestling fans are are the best. But, dude, that double axe handle square off, face off was the yeah. best thing and all the boys are just popping in the back but it's a testament it's a, just a different way to entertain and you you've always right. got that well like you said would you uh, i can't have the match like josh and i can but then i'll have to take six weeks off after <laughs> you know it's uh i i started when i was coming up i take Ricky Morton's army, be like, loosen up, you crowbar. You know what I mean? So the, it's yeah. ingrained in me. I can't be stiff even if I try. So because I was trained to not be, um, you know, and that's. Uh, but there's also, our, listen, you think about, you said the Iron Sheik, how he inspired you. And by doing nothing, I remember specifically, you would knock me down. You would hit a bicep pose and turn away from me with your bicep to show the entire crowd when you turn back to me, I'd arm drag you. Right, right. And people would be like, you know, that was your heat, but it was just your all of that pomp and circumstance. And yes, you're an excellent in-ring performer, but you knew how to milk both parts of it, you know, and, and it, it's such a beautiful thing. Uh, last note, I also know uh, you've been, I, I think it's great for, for you and it shows a testament of what a great friend you are besides, you know, you and I, having a friendship and, and you know, it, it's a two way in this business. Cause it's also a loyalty in the sense of, I know you're not going to mess up. Like I did house of hardcore. Um, I do house of hardcore. I bring you in to face Mike Jackson because I know you're going to get the, the, the job done. And because I've seen, you know, we've worked so much your relationship with Scott Demore too has really, really like, and I tell people this all the time, if you're that guy's friend and you don't cross him, He's helped out his friends since day one. And well, think know. about it. He saw me with less than a year of experience and look where we're at now. So he saw all the way back then. Do you think he could have, he probably did. He, he saw, he had an eye for talent as a teenager and almost everybody that he's given opportunities like that too. They're either still working now or they're really known for, yeah. for you know, so I know you still do it in the ring like myself. Um, and then, you recently been, you agented down in the NWA, which you really, really liked. And you have, you know, you, I feel that you can do that as well. And I think that'll be something for you because think of, like you said, your resume, you're one of the few guys, WCW, ECW, WWE, TNA, Impact. A lot of people don't have that. And you've worked with everybody. Right, right. And, those and it's like what you just said there, I'm actually, I've seen some advertisements of, some of the matches I agented and I, it excited, man, I produced that match. You know what I mean? So that yeah, gives me I a thing. It. It, to me, it's like working. It's like going in there and like, if I come in the ring, have a match this week at TV, to me, it's the same producing a match because you're involved with, you know, and they're asking, what if, what if I did this or how should it? So we were a part of the match as a producer too. So it's, I can really see that as a future for me to, you know, people don't want to see me in the ring at 54. You know, this is, a way I can continue with the business and still enjoy it and contribute something. Oh, absolutely. And you definitely will. Um, and I, again, man, I just, I love that moment. And I also like the fact, cause that's, you say like Demore's been producing TV since he's a teenager. I've been running the show since I'm in my twenties, like from ECW to, you know, in impact, like I said, like it's something like I, it's just second nature. It's sec it's, it's second nature for you too. Uh, you just need more, more experience in the sense of more aging stuff. And then to pass down the next generation, which I I'm a hundred percent sure you're going to get. And other big news. I understand you just, you signed another contract with impact wrestling. Yeah. One more year in the sun, right, man. I can't go wrong now with you're that. Doubling your run brother Four years, <laughs> brother. I'm telling you, man. And, uh, he said to me, he called me, uh, on 4th of July, 2019, I was out by the pool. So that's why I remember. He didn't call me, sent me a text, said, I got an idea for you an impact. It'll be fun and easy. And my response was, when do I start? I didn't ask what it was. I didn't care because I knew that he knows what to do with me. So I'll just trust in that. So it was three weeks after that before he told me what I was finally doing. And when I talked to him, he goes, he goes, it was either 
He goes, we'll either get three months out of this or we'll get three years out of it. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, obviously uh, he's, he's still happy with it to offer me another year. And uh, there's a lot of people, I started thinking about all the people I've worked with there over the last three years that aren't around anymore that were really big time talent. So, um, you know, uh, I was just in awe of Ken Shamrock when I first came in and because I never really knew him before that, but I got to kind of be friendly with him, really cool guy. And I was thinking, you know, he was after a year and a half, he was gone and I'm still here three years. I mean, that just, you know, I mean, that makes me feel good that I'm a, a pliable character that you can, you know, just uh, cameo into something and, or like you have a good idea and it's like, boom, you know what I mean? It's just a, an easy, simple thing and everybody gets it. And it's, you know, it's, I'm just grateful for the to chance to come back and, on a TV level and do this, this character, which is not really a character. It's just what I am and what I've seen. And I add a lot of color to it. And, you know, I watch a lot of people, you know, Boogie Woogie is a, a huge idol of mine. And that's what a, a lot of the look came from and the lingo and listen, daddy. And, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's all up in my brain. I just let it out and I get a chance to let it out. So. Well, I love it. Um, and the more of a shocker, you're actually on social media now. <laughs> But, you know, I just realized this that, you know, Scott told me two years ago, ah, you got to follow everybody on Twitter. It helps push the company and all that. And I'm like, and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, me personally, I'm really only following 80 people. <laughs> so maybe I need to follow more people and that'll facilitate more people following me. I don't know, but I'm still well, trying to figure it out. Give me your, are you, you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Swinger underscore Johnny. And I don't think you're following me either, by the way. I think you, really? you, you're the only one in the company not following me. I will follow you right yeah. after this interview. And I apologize. I thought I was. Um, are you on Instagram? Yes. Uh, Johnny underscore God. Swinger. What year is this that you, you're on both Twitter and Instagram? My, Actually, you? On, I have two Facebook pages. My Joe Dorgan page is the one that's almost maxed out. And my Johnny Swinger page is, uh, is coming along. So, well, yeah, that's how we can find the swing man on social media. Joe, I love you. I will see you in a few days in Vegas. Man, it sounds and, great. Uh, thank you for everyone to listening to this week's episode of the House of Hardcore podcast with the swing man. Johnny